On today's episode of Survival Dispatch News, we're discussing protecting your home. And we're back with today's panel. Beside me here, we've got our good friend, Jason McCoy. And can I please reiterate something? None of us on this panel are going to take Joe Biden's advice and take a double barrel shotgun and fire two shots in there because that does no good. <laughs> I thought that was all we were going to discuss. <laughs> Crap, we're done. I mean, maybe if it's out <laughs> of drone. Just, just get a shotgun fired twice, you're good to go. Uh, we're joined by Mike Sterling. Of course, uh, anybody who follows Survival Dispatch News familiar with him. Denny Chapman as well. You know, our uh, in-house firearm subject matter expert and Chris from ammo.com, who's going to be taking the lead on today's uh, episode. So take it away, Chris. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. And uh, like we're talking about today, we're going to talk about defending our castle from the foreign invaders who are coming in. And as Jason so eloquently said, yeah, more than double barrel shotguns. But uh, I want to take a second just to talk about something that's really important. I need to emphasize that none of us here are lawyers. We don't know your state and local laws, and we're not re responsible for any misinterpretations on your part of those laws. You need to get with your local law enforcement and understand what is appropriate and what isn't. And I know, Mike, you're thinking about it, but all of the federal laws regarding booby trapping <laughs> your property are strictly enforced no matter where you live. Uh, so we're going to have to leave all of the fun stuff out, out of this one, sadly. I know that you you had your uh, your little toy you wanted to show us beforehand, but uh, yeah, we, we can't be using those, sadly. I'm sorry. So, so, so Use right your imagination. Gate, yeah, right out of the gate, we've got the number one bomb thrower throwing a bomb at the number one bomb expert. <laughs> sorry. No, it's good. It's good. No, I love it. I'm glad we could all be here today. And I wanted to start and talk about uh, one topic that I think is important to really talk about here in the preparedness community is understanding the difference between everyday home defense and home defense during a disaster or an SHTF situation, because I think we have to approach those two very differently. So uh, I want to pass this one off to, to Denny, get your opinion. I what is your big differentiation between those two topics? Well, yeah, that's a that's a really good point because um, different uh, things that are happening to us dictate uh, how we're going to address those issues. And, uh, you know, we can talk about this for a long time, but in a nutshell, you know, we're talking about defending your castle and, you know, basically defending your home, your property, your family members uh, against people who want to do bad things and, and hurt you or, or kill you. Um, when we have these uh, Mother Nature scenarios, you know, I'm down here in Florida, we have hurricanes, hurricane seasons actually um, kicks up here in just a couple of days for us down here. And uh, then that brings the worry about uh, looters and people, you know, doing crazy stuff during during the bad weather when when uh, doors and locks may not work anymore and buildings are blown down and people's possessions are available for the taking, so to speak, and people can storm your castle a little easier in those circumstances. So it's important to understand that, you know, we're addressing a general topic here, but, you know, the circumstances will change depending on, you know, what, what's going on. And so there are a lot of things we can do, generally speaking, to prepare to defend your castle. And then special things that um, you probably should take in consideration in those other scenarios uh, where we might encounter looters, rioters, et cetera. No, it's a great way to put it. I think that, uh, you know, one thing to really remember is like for everyday defense is when 
things are normal. You know, law enforcement will respond to your calls in a timely manner. Uh, you know, emergency services are kind of still working and the courts are in session. I think that's the most important thing to remember, because uh, as we like to say, every every time you squeeze the trigger, there's a lawyer attached to that. So just be aware of that when that happens. And I think, you know, kind of one of the important things to do to really get your house ready. So let's talk about everyday defense. So like anytime, like right now, everything's good. The grid is up. Uh, everybody's happy, you know, we're getting checks sent to us, you know, from all of our three letter government agencies that we love here. And we want to make sure that our house is ready to go. And one quote that I think really talks about this is, you know, from the art of war it says the greatest victory is one that requires no battle. So really making your home look like a hard target. So you're not easy pickings. Cause I think that's an important thing when if during a normal situation, uh, you know, thieves, let's be honest, thieves and people who want to do this harm mostly are cowards. And if you look like a hard target, then you'd be like, I don't want to go after that. So, uh, Mike, give me your thoughts. What are some good ways to make your home look more like a hard target and less accessible to people who might want to do bad things to us? Okay. So, uh, some of you might not know, but I started out my, uh, I started out my days as a, as a combat engineer. So, uh, fortifications, uh, survivability, counter mobility, mobility, uh, tasks were part and parcel for, of my life for five years. So I built a lot of fortifications. So there's a couple of things. There's, there's three points that you really need to, you need to consider with these things. And, um, and, and this, this falls for, for your considerations for, for all of these things, but you've got time, manpower, and material availability. The, everything that you do is going to be levied against those. Now, uh, when it, when it, time is time, period. Um, manpower, of course, that can be that can be improved by use of machinery. Uh, and material, uh, material, you also have to throw money into there as well because fortifications can either be, you know, you can. You can throw a ton of money at fortifications and, and man, you can have a great place. You know, I mean, if you've got a house with, you know, 24 inch thick reinforced concrete walls, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're doing great, but guess what? The 99.9% .9 of us can't afford that sort of thing. So money is a consideration on this sort of thing. And then there's one more thing that I need to throw into there is legal and social norms. If you happen to, if God help you, if you happen to live in a neighborhood with an HOA, the 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 stuff that you're going to do is gonna have to be levied against what how much pain you're willing to deal with from the HOA okay and that's that's just that's life um so of course um first you have to define your vulnerabilities so and you have to levy those against what threats you're looking to to you know, go up against, you know, having a regular stick built suburban house, you're not going to go up against tanks. You're not going to reinforce it against mortars or anything. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Um, you have to understand that bullets are just going to penetrate regular walls. It's going to happen. You, know, you got stick built house, bullets are just going through the walls, period. Um, so a couple of things that you can do. And um, when I was doing vulnerability assessment stuff, we used to call it fortification landscaping. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, so you can build flower beds outside of, of your house. But the bottom two-thirds or three-quarters of that, it's a raised flower bed. The bottom bottom three-quarters is concrete, just a block of concrete. So, and we used to put those, we used to put those around uh, facilities that, that had a vulnerability for people driving, you know, car bombs up into them, stuff like that. So it looks really pretty, but it's actually an anti-vehicle barrier. But guess what? Anti-vehicle barriers also stop bullets. So those work too. Um, 
decorative rocks and concrete features, right? Um, stuff like that. Those work good. Um, if you're in a neighborhood and you have the opportunity to have a neighborhood that you can be able to close off out near those, you build swales and you can pass that off to your HOA as, oh, we're building a swale because it's a, it's, and that's basically just a, a raised section of bed uh, and we can plant flowers and trees and stuff like that on it because, you know, it's landscaping, right? But guess what? A swale is also a great fighting position. So if you need to close off your neighborhood, great place to be able to build those sort of things. Um, thorn hedges are a beautiful thing. And you can put those in your backyard, stuff like that. Hey, I don't know about you, but I've crawled over a wall and fallen into a thorn hedge. Or if you live in the Southwest, throw a whole bunch of cactus <laughs> in there. Now I'll say that's going to deter just about anybody. If they do get over it and they fall into that, they are not going to want to yeah. do it for, they're not going to want to do anything once they're in there. Uh, or palmettos the, down here in Florida, those palmettos are. Right. Ouch. Yeah, those palmettos will tear you up, man. So those are a big, you know, th those are some good things. Another thing that I like to throw on, and I was a big fan of for the longest time, was um, mylar sheeting on your windows. So in a um, in a shooting environment, probably 50% of your casualties are actually going to come from flying glass. Um, now, if you just take thin mylar sheeting, and it doesn't need to be tinted mylar or anything like that, um, if you can only do it, just do it on one side, on the inside, preferably. Um, and that will make that window one monolithic piece. So if you have if you have a blast outside or if you have bullets coming through, the glass isn't going to be flying all over the house, right? It's basically just a thin mylar sheet, just a thin, clear plastic sheet that's going to go go over it it's going to hold it in place you see pictures from world war ii uh, or anything like that you know you'll see you'll see tape crosses on all the windows and stuff and that's that's the the particular use of that is so that windows don't go shattering all over the place well mylar is is a is a big step above now if you can do both sides of that window man you are in great shape um now of course uh, and and this became this became a big thing after the Kobar towers bombing in saudi arabia back in the in the 90s for anybody that happens to remember that uh 75 of the casualties in that um were injured specifically because of flying glass and guess what you can't pick up glass on an x-ray machine it's got to get dug out by hand by a surgeon so that's that's all bad news so if you can if if, if that's all you can do and that's cheap clear mylar is stupid cheap apply it yourself put it on call it a day um so that's a that's a big one. I think one of the biggest issues, though, that is nigh on impossible to fix for virtually all of us is fire. You make your house hard enough for somebody else to get in. Eventually, they're going to decide to just burn you out. So don't make it too tough for them to get in, because if you make it impossible for others to get in, you've now just made it impossible for yourself to get out. Good thought. I hadn't thought about that. It definitely applies more to the the SHTF home defense for sure. But no, I really like that, especially the window screens. I think that's really something that could help uh, and a very inexpensive thing that you can do. And it also slows somebody down. If somebody's trying to come in your window, uh, you know, that will slow them down. And like you're saying, time is an important thing in a defense situation. You need time to get ready. You may be asleep and you need time to get to the gun safe or get your, uh, you know, your defensive tools out, whatever you want to use. Uh, that screen could give you those precious seconds that you need to be able to get there and get it done. 
another thing I think that's really helpful is to, you know, upgrade your door locks uh, and get those bigger screws in there because that's a real weak point of a lot of deadbolts. I know a lot of people think, oh, I got a deadbolt on the door. It's good to go. But you've got one inch screws in the thing. And it's fairly simple for someone who knows what they're doing to kick a door down. Uh, so getting beefier locks like that's a really great thing you can do. And just getting screws, they're like 10 cents a piece at any big box hardware store. Do that. It'll take you five minutes and you'll be considerably tougher than what you think. Yeah, Mike, go ahead, buddy. Uh, also, an addition onto that, uh, top and top and bottom slide bolts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good luck kicking that through. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And on top of that, um, you can get decorative metal storm doors now. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't look like, uh, you know, you're in downtown Miami, you know, with bars on the windows, but outswing solid metal. We've got them on our main doors. Uh, you know, target hardening is all about layers and the layers are all about slowing the other person down or discouraging them from hitting your place because the neighbor's easier target. Those metal doors for a couple hundred dollars are extremely effective. You're going to buy a serious amount of time with them, especially, like I said, they're outswing. They're, they're solid, but they don't look, you know, it doesn't look like you're going into a prison. Yeah, Denny, go for it. Yeah, and uh, on on Mike's note, um, if you're, if you live in a neighborhood or a, a subdivision and your HOA will allow it, um, put a fence up. It's not going to keep them out, but it's going to slow them down. I'm lucky because I live out in the boonies. Uh, I have a large property. Uh, I have fence all around my property. Uh, anybody can get in, but it's going to slow them down. And odds are I'm going to be alerted to that and be, have a little more time to prepare. So simply having a fence, you know, I've got four foot uh, no climb fence because my property is designed for, for animals. And, uh, you know, you could hop over it, but it'll slow them down. I've got gates on my front drive. Yeah, you could drive a vehicle through it, but it'll slow people down. Locks and gates and fences and things, you know, typically are designed to keep honest people out. But these reinforcements that we're talking about will slow the, the non-honest people down that much more. No, you're absolutely right, Denny. And I think that's a great thing to do now. Uh, Chris, I know you had something you kind of wanted to show off. Uh, one of the other things you can do, especially during a time where, you know, every day things are happening, law enforcement is still there. It's always good to, you know, have things that you can record uh, maybe what's happening in case there is a type of a court situation. So having security cameras and floodlights and stuff like that can be really important if things go uh, to a judgment of 12. So, Chris, what do you have for us? Can I, can I make a point on yep. that right before Chris shows this? You know, we all preach this situational awareness with, with our individual selves when we're out in public. This what Chris is fixing to show is our home's situational awareness especially if we have updates and alerts that, you know, allow us to be able to see what's going on outside of our home when we're not there, or it, especially when we are there. Um, it's situational awareness for our home itself. That's in my opinion. So, Yeah, so we're at our cabin in the Blue Ridge Mountains, middle of nowhere. Um, so we have a combination of trail cams as well as regular network cameras and I'm fixing to install some more today. Uh, this one, my wife likes the Zoom app. It's pretty good. Uh, we picked up a couple of these uh, motion detector lights, motion detector camera, but you can log in anytime. Uh, a couple hundred bucks a piece. These, these will be hardwired into a circuit that's on a power station battery backup as well. And the reason that we're adding these in addition to the other cameras 
is that some of our trail cameras have big solar panels on them. You're not going to disguise them. People can see where they are. And uh, we had somebody jack with our cameras from behind them. So we got a notification and we could hear them rustling around, but the camera moved like that. And then we could no longer see a portion of our property here. So the way I've got things set up now and with the addition of, of these two cameras, every camera is covered by at least one additional camera, in many cases, two cases. So if somebody messes with a camera, they're going to be caught on camera by another camera. Um, the other thing is I had a, a vehicle break into my uh, home maybe 10 years ago or so. And uh, when I was talking to the responding officer, he said, you know, you can drive through this neighborhood and tell immediately who's been broken into and who hasn't. Because the ones that have been broken into have motion detector lights everywhere, lit up like a dang Christmas tree. So both, you know, here in our place in Florida, we got solar lights all over the place, motion detector lights. Um, you know, bad guys don't like a spotlight being shined on them. Absolutely. Bad things always happen in the dark. Uh, that's for sure. And they, you know, like I said, bad people during good times want to be anonymous. They don't want to know that you're there. Uh, now, another early warning system, Jason, I want to talk to you about this one because I know you've got a, a couple puppies yourself, uh, is to get a dog. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? So I believe, you know, almost all dogs are going to alert you if something is aloof outside, um, even if it's somebody that is a family member that's coming in. As soon as you breach it or come up to that door, they're going to alert you. I have, oh, goodness, I have two kind of corsos that um, – play around in my backyard they have full range through the doggy door to come inside and outside um my oldest male he's two he's 150 pounds he's a force to be reckoned with um uh i have a female um she's just a little over a year old right now she's a hundred pound county corso um they they're deterrents to say the least but also on the other hand don't think you gotta have a big vicious dog to do that I've also got a Chihuahua inside and a Chihuahua. They're just as loud and boisterous as the Cane Corsos are. Cane Corsos are going to put the fear of God in anybody that comes on the outside. But the Chihuahua and the Chihuahuas, they are, oh my gosh, those little rascals will, they'll alert us in a heartbeat. If anything, you will never sneak past one. It's like right. sneaking past a goose. <laughs> the, what the great part about dogs is, is they can sense things are wrong even without hearing us hearing a sound. That's what I really love about animals. So. Yeah. I'd like to expound on that, you know, working in the animal industry uh, with horses and dogs and uh, you know, backing up a little bit, two of the best deterrents are light and dogs uh, light because we discussed, you know, most bad things happen in the dark because people don't want to be seen. They don't want to be recognized. Uh, so then, then the dogs come into play and we think about this, that dogs, having a dog uh, will alert you to somebody being in the proximity of your home or wherever you're at. As Jason said, it doesn't necessarily have to be a big, mean-sounding dog. It could be a, it could be a little dog. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, we have a lot of dogs. We work with dogs as a family business as well. And uh, we have Boston Terriers, for instance. And uh, they don't sound mean but they will alert us. And if we can hear them barking, the bad guys can hear them barking. And that might be just enough deterrence to say, well, maybe I'll skip this place because they already know we're here. Uh, 
Now, if you got a dog like Jason's uh, Corso dogs, they are big, mean ass looking dogs. They can be mean depending on how you train them. But one of those dogs barking or a German Shepherd, the German Shepherd bark is highly recognizable because of movies and television. Yep. Uh, people uh, have, hear people know what canines sound like. They know what Malinois sound like versus a, a German Shepherd. Even a larger dog like a Labrador barking is going to be more of a deterrent than a smaller dog barking. So dogs, absolutely, yes. It's a bonus if you have a larger dog just moving more air through their lungs, making more noise. Um, Chris has pit bulls. Uh, they sound really freaking mean when they bark. It is a huge deterrent. I go to Chris's once a week. We make content. The dogs bark when I ring his ring doorbell. Um, I, those dogs sense me before I even hit that button. And they sound like I don't want to go in there, even though I know them and they, I get along with those dogs. So just want to expound on that. Being a dog guy, get yourself, if you don't have a dog, get yourself a dog. Two dogs are better than one. Yeah, Jason. I want to make a point on that for some of the listeners that you know may not be dog or may be dog owners and just not know um that this is a fact if your dog is doing that at the door even when a family member comes in please don't tell them to stop mm -hmm. because they're doing you a service um mm -hmm. they're Good working point. for you mm -hmm. you know once that family member that person comes in yes socialize them with that person and make sure everything's cool but don't discipline that dog for doing its job and that's something like, even like what you said, Danny, um, Chris's dogs, they're up here with us this weekend or this week. Sorry. And, um, even when I go outside to get something out of the truck, bring it back in his female sitting right there at the door and she's growling at me. As soon as I come through the door, I reached yep. out and tell her good job, girl. Good job. Once I, yeah. once I reach that door though, she knows who I am because I've been around her, you know, yeah. she's doing her job. Your animals are doing their, don't discipline, discipline them for doing something that is for your service. Yeah, well, yeah, dog, that's true. Dog handlers will tell you, uh, do not use the word stop with a dog unless that's, you know, what you want them to do. Like, you know, if you want them to stop dead in their tracks, use the word stop, but don't use that for something like, you know, Jason's example. It confuses them. And, you know, you're trying to uh, take away their instinct of protecting their pack. As you can see flying around us here, Chris has also got two pit bulls and a lot of um yellow jackets. Yellow, no other wasps. Just turns people to come break. Take in. cover if you need to, boys. To I want to expound on the I want to expound on the dog thing a little bit too. And having had experience handling working dogs and canines, I can tell you that's a whole different world and a whole different responsibility. So if you think you're just going to go out and buy yourself a trained um, working dog, a dog that you know, will bite on command or alarm on command. You are opening up a, a can of worms that you need to be able and prepared and trained to deal with. And I'll give you a real quick story and then we'll move on. So I'm a big fan of Schutzen dogs. And so I had a Czech bred shepherd. He's long since passed away and one of the best dogs I ever had. And uh, he was level three. So he would alarm on command. He would bite on command. He, was, he could also uh, sniff out drugs and do a lot of cool things that us former police officers like dogs to do. Well, I had this dog and I had some friends over and they knew I had this wonderfully trained dog and he was off leash with me while my friends were there. And they wanted to say, Hey, show us, show us what your dog can show us some cool stuff. And so I said, you know, okay. So I had him do some very simple commands and um, he was, he 
We used German commands with him, with that particular dog. And uh, at one point, I gave him the command to alarm, which means bark loudly. uh, And we use that as a deterrent and as a predecessor to the next thing that happens, which is go bite the crap out of somebody. And so I did that. And as I did that, I'm I'm telling you guys this because I learned a lesson from this. I gave my dog off leash the command to alarm. And um, wasn't the best thing in the world for me to do because my friend's wife was, this was in the fall. She was wearing a big bulky uh, sweatshirt and she turned her arm like she turned her arm to, to say something to her husband. And it looked like she was presenting a bite sleeve to my dog. And my dog's uh, bite word was pucking, which is a very common word um, used in military and law enforcement for these um, dogs to, to bite. And I don't, somebody said something with a p- and he said, he said, oh, yeah, OK. And he goes, he lunged, he lunged at her, the big, big old German shepherd. And I caught him by the scruff of the neck and I put him on the ground at the last second. So long story short, that's that's a fun story of mine. Long story short is if you're going to go out and buy one of these protective dogs, you need a lot of training and you need to be prepared to change your lifestyle completely for that dog. So that's a liability just like a round is. Yeah, and they have a mind of their own, which guns do not. Right. I'd like to mm-hmm. point out. So, you know, that's a, that's a we we should pro- that's a whole nother video for survival dispatch. Maybe we'll do that. No, that's a really good point, and yeah, great insights on the uh, the puppers. I we have a German Shepherd. She's thankfully taking a nap, so hopefully you won't be subjected to that bark that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> Everybody knows talk- that Shepherd bark. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I she it's when she gets going. Oh yeah, it very it very much is. So But dogs, uh, now, yes, dogs and light, good, good deterrence for bad people. Definitely, hundred percent. Fully recommended here at Survival Dispatch. Now let's we were talking about firearms that they don't have a mind of their own. And uh, I know Denny just did a video on this and uh, we're gonna annotate that here up uh, in the top so you can go to that. But wanna talk about the different tools you can use for home defense, primarily a handgun, a shotgun, and a rifle. Uh we'll just go I'm around like we did before. Oh, yeah, we have. Uh, Chris, tell us about that magazine, because that's spectacular, by the way. Uh, you know, our power goes out here frequently in the mountains. Uh, you know, we've got power station battery backups and whatnot, but we have, you know, board games and magazines and stuff like that. And I just happened to be walking past stack stack of magazines that got moved yesterday. And this one ended up on the top. And I thought it was kind of ironic timing, you know, for the topic to be what it is. And then uh, Jason made a comment about the guy how he loved this guy here with, with the crowbar so you know my oh, that was me oh said sorry he was so adorable they are absolutely <laughs> adorable aren't they so, aren't they just so, so it, cute that is a cringiest magazine ever so in reality <laughs> you don't even need a shotgun and two shots crowbar <laughs> you're good crowbar. joe Fire biden out. would be proud of that wouldn't he that's all the left wants us have or not the left yeah. you don't need a gun just get a crowbar okay i'm back Go for the knees. All right. So let, let's talk about that. If we're going to forego the crowbar, uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, home defense tools here and what is our preference. Uh, Denny, we'll start with you. We'll go around like we did last time. Yeah. So um, we are going to annotate that video. I just did a kind of a general video on three tools to defend your castle with. And uh, the, the, algorithms on YouTube and social media don't like, you know, the, the words that start with a G and end with a U and an N. And so this is one of the tools that I recommend. Uh, you know, a, a pistol is a great tool with proper training 
to give you the ability to defend yourself against serious physical injury or imminent death, uh, regardless of you're in an urban environment or a rural environment, if you are properly trained and you carry it on your person and are prepared and trained to use it. Guns are, I'm just going to say, uh, you know, when you are carrying firearms, you are carrying with you a huge responsibility. And we spoke, speak to this all the time. Uh, we are liable for every projectile that comes out the end of this barrel. And there's a lawyer attached to every one of them. But backing up, the, the pistol is a basic foundation tool uh, to, to defend yourself with, regardless of the environment that you are in. My pistol stays on. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a good example to everybody, and I've unloaded it and uh, for safety. Uh, obviously, we should practice those safety rules. And, you know, I'd probably be remiss if I didn't remind everybody of the four cardinal rules of gun safety, which are treat every gun as if it's loaded at all times, never point at anything you're not willing to kill, shoot, or destroy. Finger stays off that trigger until you are actually ready to fire and always know your target and what's beyond that target. And um, I'll, I'll always remember those rules. So I'm trying to be a good example. No magazine, empty chamber here as I'm handling uh, this gun. Uh, so pistol, uh, on your person in condition one. What does condition one mean? It means it's loaded with a round in the chamber ready to go. And she said, oh, that sounds dangerous. Well, yeah, uh, we, we want to train to be dangerous. We want to be dangerous. We want to be able to defend ourselves and be a dangerous person to those bad guys. Uh, choose your ammo wisely. Uh, I am loaded with Pilgrim Torch ammo, uh, which is ammo that's designed. It's nine millimeter. This is a Glock 19, by the way. And uh, by the way, uh, this is a Red Dot. It's also in 509T Red Dot device. And all the old school guys are saying, I don't need a Red Dot. Uh, all I need is my 1911.45. Good for you if you're trained with it and 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 you you use it uh, and are, are um reliable with that gun and it doesn't change every magazine i'm getting old my eyes are changing this red dot gives me the ability to aim faster because with iron sights and this is a whole nother video there's it's a multiple step process to line those sights up and focus on the front sight the sight uh is your focus the target is is not necessarily in in focus uh, as much as the front sight whereas with a red dot um, you can you can look through that red dot, both eyes open, still keep your peripheral vision, yada, yada, yada. And it's a great tool to use. So the one foundation uh, firearm would be a pistol. I choose nine millimeter because I can find ammo. It's the most prolific uh, pistol uh, caliber ammunition in the world. There are lots of varieties of ammunition. Um, I respect everybody's opinion. Chris likes uh, Chris Evan likes his 10 millimeters, which are fantastic firearms. Uh, but, you know, I, I not only choose it for the caliber, but I also choose it for the platform. It's a Glock. I have many firearms that that will operate off of this Glock magazine as well, including PCCs. And so then I'm segueing to a shotgun. So this is a very basic Remington 870. Um, and I want to ask you guys a question because I posted this video yesterday and it was just a general overview of these th- of the pistol rifle shotgun. And with a pump action shotgun, you know, I like pump actions for home defense because they are reliable. They work. And um, my firearms that are loaded in condition one stay on my person, on me. If I have a gun in the safe, I know and my family members know when if they have to retrieve that gun, 
for for a, a real crappy scenario, they're going to have to chamber around. That's our standard operating procedure, and that's how we train, and that's how we operate. And so, you know, if someone says, well, you're going to have fire, loaded firearms and not one in the chamber, hey, uh, so be it for you. This is our standard operating procedure. If we care, if we have a gun in condition one, it's going to be on our person, okay? So shotguns. Everybody knows what this sound is. You know what that sound is without looking at it? Do you guys think the racking shotgun is a deterrent? Is that is that a deterrent? Would that be a deterrent? What's you know, everybody's opinion of that? I don't think so. I don't recall our troops in World War One storming the trenches just cocking the shotgun <laughs> the whole time. So I'm going to say no to most of that. I'll, I'll well, they were cocking that. it, but every time it came forward, a <laughs> yeah, a, right. A I'll, I'll respect that in that scenario. So I had one comment. Biden. One of our viewers. Go ahead. One of our, yeah. Sorry, Joe. I've got more than two rounds and I'm not going to shoot them out off the deck. Um, so one, I, I had one uh, viewer comment uh, how, how he loves pump action shotguns and loves the sound. And this at the sound could be a deterrent to somebody get ready to ram your front door in. And somebody else uh, said, I can't believe that you're running around with unloaded firearms. So I'm not running around with unloaded firearms. If it's on my person or my possession, it's loaded. Uh, condition one but in the safe it's loaded with uh, double up buckshot and by the way double up buck i like double up buckshot over slugs because with double up buckshot uh with this two and three quarter inch load here you get nine 33 caliber pellets traveling between 1200 and 1400 feet per second and um that's devastating uh, i have tested double up buckshot out to uh, 25 yards or so at varying distances. Chris, you remember that day? Where we, I think we're out with Angry American that day and we tested it. And even at the longest distance, we tested it out of this barrel, which is cylinder bore, cylinder bore, no, um, no choke, just a regular cylinder bore that's set up for standard slugs or buckshot. We were still able to keep, I think, all nine pellets, maybe with the exception of one pellet, on a standard USPSA uh, target, which is essentially... Uh, the size of a human torso. I think it's about 18, 16 or 18, 18 inches wide on that. So very interesting feedback we got. Uh, shotguns are not everybody's cup of tea, but here's the thing about shotguns. Most people can operate a shotgun without extensive training. Would you guys agree? Great. Danny, back back to that point where, you know, the comment about can't believe you're running around with an unloaded gun. Um, I don't know about you, but if I have to grab my shotgun, a round is going in the chamber immediately if you know oh yeah i've sure like the situation calls for me to pick up that particular gun yeah it's going in the in the chamber immediately so i'm i'm not approaching the situation with an unloaded shotgun that's when my safety comes into play yeah so that day yeah, you bet the day that we were shooting that shotgun it was at a measured 60 feet and consistently every round of double lot was in the a zone with maybe one flyer max it was pretty tight groups. Yeah. So the reason we're talking about this is there's probably a concern about, you know, rounds going through walls and hitting the good people instead of the bad people, so to speak. And so I just want to kind of speak to that. Everybody should always train with the ammo that you're going to use. And this is really something. How many people do you know don't train with their carry ammo in their pistol? They'll buy a pistol. They'll buy a, a couple hundred rounds, maybe, maybe a couple hundred rounds of full metal jacket, ball ammo, uh, plain Jane ammo. And then they'll get one 20 round box 
of self-defense ammo and they'll keep it in their gun. But when they go to the range, they never shoot it. They'll shoot their low power factor ammo. Low power factor means let, you know, less recoil, less velocity. And so here's the deal. Your carry ammo may feel different than your practice ammo. You may have different recoil. That gun may be moving around a whole lot more in your hand. You may not have the same ballistics. You may not have the same zero. It might not be in the same place on the target with your other ammo. So I'm going to suggest, please, please, please train with your carry ammo, regardless of what caliber it it is. With the shotgun, as I said, I recommend buckshot for that reason. Instead of one projectile, you get nine 33 caliber round projectiles traveling through the air. Uh, I I realize the shotgun's not everybody's cup of tea. And then my third uh, firearm for defending my castle is uh, an AR-style rifle. And I prefer an AR-style rifle because uh, they are highly accessorizable. The ammo's easy to find. The ammo has good ballistics. It does what it's supposed to do. I have some very specific accessories and things on this rifle, which I've explained in a previous video. Uh, you can search it out on, on the Survival Dispatch YouTube channel. This is Margaret, by the way. You guys have met Margaret, but uh, if you haven't met Margaret, go back and watch that video. Shot Margaret. Or engagements. Yes, uh, Jason Jason and Margaret have a, have a good relationship as well. Uh, I, I, I name, I name some of my guns that I'm particularly fond of. He names all so, of them. <laughs> okay. I named nearly all of them, but this is my whole life and I love these firearms. So, uh, the pistol is designed for fairly close engagement. Would you all agree? I train with my pistol a lot. I shoot a lot. Um, I shot an action, action steel match this morning. As a matter of fact, that's why I still have my ear pro on. Uh, I train with my pistol. I train out to 50 yards. I don't shoot a lot out to 50 yards, but I train out to 50 yards because I want to be prepared. So uh, I know my capabilities with my pistol. I don't really want to use it for 50 yards or further than that. If I have to shoot further than that, I want something like this with the capability of being a little more accurate. You're always going to be a little more accurate with a long gun, be it a shotgun or a rifle, because you have three points of contact versus just two points of contact while you're holding a pistol. The three points of contact uh, are your grip, your, your, your forend that's stabilizing, and your shoulder. Actually, have four if you have a cheek weld, giving it even more stability. With my particular rifle, uh, I live out in the country. And if you live out in the country, you guys that are watching this video, know your ranges out to landmarks on your property. I have a range finder. I know, my, I know how far it is from my front door to the front gate. I know how far it is to the back gate. I know how far it is to each corner. And I have this really cool uh, LPVO, which stands for low power variable optic here. This is a Vortex Strike Eagle and it has hash marks. It has a BDC reticle, bullet drop compensator. And so I can shoot this rifle out. If I know the distance, uh, I can shoot it out to 600 yards without having to dial in just by using the hash marks. And check this out. You guys know I like my red dots. I've got our offset red dot here, okay? Right. Now, hear me out. Those of you that are watching that are kind of old school, hear me out because I'm old school too. I'm a 1968 model. I had to catch up with the times too. And so I'm learning every day, even though uh, I um, people rely on me for firearms information, I want to continue my education. So when technology comes around, that's going to be a benefit to me. I want to know about it. I want to train with it. I want to use it. So this red dot gives me a very distinct advantage when shooting really close up very quickly. All I have to do is turn my rifle sideways 
and I've got my red dot. And check this out. If I am defending my house and this is the only firearm I have in my hand and I have to go through doorways, I can reduce the overall profile of this by putting this stock up over my shoulder, bringing it back, and I can still shoot through my red dot this way, but I've shortened my rifle by about eight inches or so and I can get through doorways. So there's a lot of, lot of things to consider uh, when choosing the tools to defend your, your castle, so to speak. My AR is 5.56 caliber, by the way. It will also shoot 223 ammo. Uh, it's a one and nine twist. Started out as a Smith & Wesson M&P Sport 2. I've accessorized the heck out of it. Anybody who's interested in knowing more details about that, just drop a comment or go back and watch that video. But my three main tools for defending my castle uh, with a deadly force is pistol, uh, rifle, and shotgun. I could go on and on, but I better shut up so we can talk about some other stuff. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, dri I drive the point home that whether it's athletic guns or whatever, you should always practice the way you're going to play. Yep. So most FMJ ammo, uh, you know, it's it's slower velocity than say a, a good self defense round. And, Pistol ammo specifically, yeah. Yeah, and most people who don't have a ton of experience, at least, assume that the higher the velocity the more muzzle flip and it's actually the exact opposite. So when you get into plus P ammo, you know, if, if your gun can handle additional chamber pressure and whatnot, uh, much less muzzle flip, much faster on target, that pilgrim torch, that's all I shoot in my pistols, period. I, it doesn't matter yes. if it's the thing, doesn't matter if it's the real deal. I want to expound on that because I've done extensive research on what Chris is talking about. So what he's specifically talking about is, you know, this would be considered plus P ammo. What does that mean? It means uh, extra, extra, extra velocity. And the reason it doesn't cause as much muzzle flip is because you have to do some mathematics here when, you, when it comes to ballistics. This bullet, the projectile, is only 50 grains, 5-0, 50 grains. Uh, the average practice 9mm full metal jacket round is 115 grains. So this is less than half the, half the weight of a standard uh, full metal jacket ball ammo round for nine millimeter. But this 50 grain projectile is traveling, there it is, 2,000 feet per second. 2,000 feet per second. So now if you had a 115 grain or 124 or 147 grain traveling 2,000 feet per second, it would create a lot more force. It would generate a lot more recoil, a lot more muzzle flip. So Choose your ammo wisely. You know, this is turning out to kind of be a commercial for this ammo, but Chris and I uh, both have done extensive research on this ammo. We shot it through ballistic gel. We talked to the, the owner of the company, uh, the interviewing Jason as well. And so I know that a round like this will transfer 100% of its energy to a soft target and create multiple wound channels without over penetrating. And a lot of people are concerned about ammo that's going to penetrate through their drywall and hit the and and um, hit the good people instead of the bad people. So I just want to kind of expound on that and talk about ballistics a little bit. Anybody has any questions about that? Feel free to drop a comment, and we are more than happy to share information. But last quick comment, and we'll move on from guns. But speed kills. So we have tested that particular ammo against multiple level three A body armor. And it's shredded every single panel that we put it up against and at a reasonable distance too, you know, 25 yards. And uh, so 
and also what Denny's saying, that ammo was specifically designed not to over penetrate. So, you know, it's, it's probably going to go somewhere around six inches deep. Yeah. Go ahead and comment all you want about the FBI ballistic tests. You know, it's not realistic. <laughs> Some, th those tests are somewhat period. antiquated. Yeah. By the way. Very a little biased, not real. And then biased. If you can sink a bullet six inches into your target that has 450 foot pounds of energy, like that particular projectile, yeah. the hydrostatic shock, it it, all the internal. Organs. Yes. So, you you know, you get yes. here you know, uh, by that particular bullet and it may miss the heart, but the hydrostatic shot is going to shock. Pardon me. He's going to turn the left side of his heart into jelly. Uh, you know, you don't want over penetration. You want the maximum amount of energy dispersed inside of the target. And, you know, it's not hard to get body armor these days and three, a doesn't weigh nothing. So you ha almost right. have almost assume in many cases that an assailant is wearing it. You can disguise it easily. And um, I've taken some training courses where the instructor actually said, if you have any question in your mind whatsoever, aim for the groin because it's it's the other than premier body armor has three A britches for guys. Other than <laughs> yeah. that's probably the safest spot, and it's not a headshot either. Because, you know anybody who's been in law enforcement and has seen, you know that I've seen guys take a forty five ACP point blank range, hit them in the forehead, traveled under their scalp and lodged in the back of the neck, and was a superficial wound. The human skull typically is anywhere from three eighths to three quarters of an inch thick. So unless you get somebody in the, this triangle right here, uh, there's a pretty good chance it ain't going to be a kill shot. But if uh, you take somebody out in the groin, uh, you're probably going to take them out of commission. Just yeah. By the way, with, with we've done extensive work, and I've done extensive research with ballistic gel and different calibers, and shot a lot of ballistic gel. And if you and anybody can buy it, by the way, you can buy it from a company called Clear Ballistics, um, uh, for instance, at FBI Gel. And when you see those gel blocks, they are the first few inches of the gel block is meant to represent human flesh and a little bit of clothing. And so you want to be able to penetrate that. And then the penetration on top of that is what you're going to have in the body cavity. And so you do not want that bullet to travel a long, long ways. We would like to see if it's a 16 inch block, we'd like to see it stop at about eight or nine inches, ideally. And so I just want to throw that out there. If anybody ever wants to play with ballistic gel, uh, anybody can buy it. They'll ship it to you and uh shoot some of it and you and you'll see what your ammo is doing full metal jacket ammo typically almost at any caliber will penetrate ballistic gel and come out the other end so if it's doing that to ballistic gel it's going to do that to a, a body to drywall and to to other stuff so pick your ammo wisely very good advice for sure uh very in-depth and really appreciate that from all of you guys uh, and yeah, uh, shameless plug. If you need some ammo, check out ammo.com. We'd appreciate it a lot. Hey, and Ooh. don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. It helps us with the algorithm. Absolutely. Make sure you're doing that and uh, leave us your comments as to what your favorite uh, tool for home defense is. We'd love to see that. Uh, and let's, let's step it up a notch here. Let's get to, okay, we're in an SHTF situation. Things are bad. We need to become an even harder target than we were before. And I'm sure you all heard the distinctive bark of the German Shepherd earlier. I tried to mute it for you as quick as I could. Uh, but in that case, I got another art of war quote. Art of, oh, wow. Editor fixed that for me. I've got another art of war quote for you. Victorious warriors win first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. So 
Mike, talk to us a little bit more about hardening your house, your castle. Now we're in a, a pretty bad situation. What are you looking at doing? So if you look at, um, if you look at a lot of the, uh, the lessons out of Sarajevo, uh, that Selko talks about, uh, during the, during the siege there, one of the things that they did, and it was, it was an easily, easily, uh, acquirable material was large quantities of brick and stuff like that laying around. They just took that stuff and mounted it up on the outside of their house. So of course the, the, um, you know, you, that that's a good thing for hardening. Um, and you have to look at, you have to look at, at this from a, um, from a counter mobility standpoint. So you've got three different types of barriers, uh, and, and, um, we're going to just break these down. So you've got delay and deter, right? Which of course, you know, it's a barrier. It's, it's not meant to stop them. It's going to slow them down or it's going to tell them, mm, I don't think I want to go in here. Right. Um, the next thing of course is going to be to channel them. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to move them out of one of my blind spots and push them directly into a field of fire, preferably where I am uh, enfilading or, or, you know, putting them into a good little crossfire, which is a nice thing. Um, and then you've got barriers that are just downright going to stop them. Okay. Um, but hardening, hardening your, uh, a, a normal American stick built house is a difficult thing. It really honestly is the best thing that you can have, um, which so much of the, so much of the, the, the nation can't do is defense in depth. Um, so we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, for most Americans, we're talking about um, suburban neighborhoods. So essentially, your your engagement range is pretty much down to the street, you know. Um, so you're looking at maybe 25 yards tops. It's mm. difficult. That's real difficult right there. Uh, if somebody wants in bad enough, and this is the one thing that we always said when it was when we were doing uh, um, VIP security, if somebody wants you bad enough, they're going to get you. Period. Um, so, you know, yeah. Okay, great. I got my Barrett and I'm going to shoot holes in any car that comes up here. Well, guess what? Somebody's going to come by with a dump truck and drive it through your house at a certain point. You know, I mean, you just, you, you can't stop everything. So understand that up front. you cannot stop everything. Now, what you can do is you can take the, you can take the, 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 the pyramid of vulnerability and you may be able to cut that bottom slice off. If you can cut that bottom slice off, that's going to be 80, 90% of the stuff that, you know, you're going to wind up dealing with. So, of course, you know, deter somebody from hitting your place. Make it look like a hard spot. Um, another thing is camouflage. Make the place look completely dilapidated, falling down, that nobody lives there, and it's just not worth going into. Okay? Camouflage is camouflage, right? Um, and and then that's when you go to your other stuff of of barriers and the like. Now, one thing, uh, if you look, there's a, there's a wonderful little, uh, there's a wonderful little barrier system that the Romans used to use. And I always loved this. It was great. They, uh, they would plant these very short, uh, but wide, uh, thorn hedges outside of their forts, but they would plant them a distance apart. So you might be able to jump over one of them, but you're not going to get enough speed to get over the next one. All right. Uh, so these, these, these fat thorn hedges, they'll, they'll provide co concealment, but not cover. Um, so that makes things difficult right there. Um, and, you know, throw a little bit of, you know, 
throw yourself some uh, some chunks of steel in there. Nobody's going to be able to drive through that very easily. Um, it's it like I said, it all comes down to protect yourself from what you can protect yourself from, but be prepared because again, ninety percent of the houses in the United States are susceptible to fire. And it doesn't even have to be. They don't even have to. If you're in a tight suburban neighborhood, they didn't have to set your house on fire. Set a house on fire two doors down. It's going to spread, right? They may burn your whole neighborhood down just to get at you. So things to be aware of. Um, and I mean, I think that's why it's always good to have a backup plan. Have right. your, your bag ready to go in case something like that happens that's completely out of your control. In a disaster situation like that, you don't know what's going to happen. And you may need to bug out. Right. Uh, now, of course, obviously, most of us are planning to bunker in. That's what we're talking about today. But there may come that situation where you just like, OK, we got to go because we can't control the situation. Yeah, you've got to you've got to you've got to make an honest assessment of your security situation. And I mean, I've got a couple of friends that that they're in neighborhoods that their security situation is as soon as it goes to a without rule of law situation in their area they have to leave their area cannot be secured there's too many angles to be able to to be able to cover um and and but and they don't have enough trigger pullers and that's one of the biggest that's one of the biggest problems if you've just got two of you you can't stay awake all the time and and you can't stay in condition orange all the time you can't do it um not when there's just a couple of you and you 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 can only cover two angles at that point, you know, so if there's a, if there's a couple of you, you can only cover two angles. So you only have two options, either don't defend that area or active defense and active defense is not, is not plausible in this kind of a scenario in a, in a suburban scenario, you just active defense is not a thing. So you're not going to be able to go out and maneuver and, and patrol aggressively. You're just not going to be able to do that. So Unless, of course, you get a whole bunch more neighbors, you know, on on, on and that's that's honestly in, in a in a suburban or even urban environment. That's probably one of the absolute best things that you can do is preparation in advance and organize. If you've now you now what you're doing is you're adding combat multipliers onto yourself. If you got the more multipliers that you have in your scenario, now you've got more trigger pullers. Now you've got more eyes. Now you've got more people that can stay awake. That'd okay. be a great, that'd be a great topic for another news, like how to organize that sort of thing. Denny, I saw you said you wanted to, to add something there. Mike said it, develop a okay. network of like-minded people with, with skills and equipment to, to band together. It may not be, you may not be the, it may not be your last stand, but it could be the, uh, the reason why you survive a little bit longer until you get to that next place you need to get to. So oh, Mike said work. it. Yeah, a little bit more irony. One of the other magazines from Off Grid that was in that stack that I found that one in, on the cover said, how to build a survival network. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Obviously, that's what we're going to need to talk about sometime here on the show. Topic. That's a great it is, topic. And, and it is honestly one of the absolute most difficult tasks that it you is. are ever going to tackle. Yeah, it, it, it is really absolutely is. difficult. It's, it's, you would think, it's no fun. You're, you're, you're right. You would think. Making sure they're properly trained, making sure everybody's yep. on 
Hey, it's good, guy. I can yeah, it's just trying to get easy. people to to not choke each other is a big thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I know. Themselves. Yeah, they, my grandpa used to say Florida starts at Jacksonville and ends at St. Augustine, and everything south there's an extension of Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New York. <laughs> and so our home in Florida is an older, established uh, um, suburb, and uh, we we got some people from the Northeast there that are vehemently you know, against guns, they, they, they're like the hall monitor people. If there's a trailer in your driveway for more than 24 hours, they're bitching and moaning and complaining about shit like that. <laughs> the neighborhood <laughs> Karens. Just on principle alone, I'm not protecting them and they're not getting any of my dang supplies, period. Full stop. Yeah. So anyway. So if I can add one more little thing onto what Denny was talking about, um, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got the memory of a goldfish, so I'm, I'm kind of bouncing back on this whole thing. Um, one of the things that I would strongly suggest, and even in a even in an SHTF situation, you can have all the guns in the world, right? But if you don't have the training on it, of course, they're yeah. worthless, right? Um, but another thing that that is a very profound thing is that a lot of people forget gun lights. So oh, yeah. there was a there's a, a terrible situation where a where a father woke up in the middle of the night, heard something going on in his house, goes downstairs, um, got his got his 20 gauge shotgun, spots somebody walking around his house that's not supposed to be there. Because, of course, on his way down, he checks his wife, you know, he checks to make sure that his spouse is there. He checks to make sure that his daughter is there. Find somebody downstairs. that's not there. No lights, no nothing guy friggin goes goes terminal on this ki- on this guy smokes him right there in the living room turns out it's the girlfriend's or it's the daughter's boyfriend oh lord who was staying over and this guy did not acquire PID positive identification you need to get positive identification on who okay. you're going to shoot even if it's you tap that light just before you pull the trigger right get PID one it's going to keep it's going to keep you out of jail mm. right now. Okay. Uh, later on, it's going to keep you from shooting one of your own people. And yeah. if you're using a, if you're using your weapon light appropriately, well, you've just stunned them for about a good second, second and a half. Yeah. So one, you're getting PID and two, you're making sure that they're not going to be able to hit back at you accurately. Um, it is a, it is a big thing. And I, I don't have a gun in my house that doesn't have a light on it period everybody gets a light everybody gets flash before i move on yeah and i would say i would like to say this as well i've got uh as i said i live out in the country with I, i've got multiple switches around my house that will light up the outside of my house uh like like daylight actually daylight times 10 with the flip of a switch so I can immediately get PID on anybody that's outside. And, w- and that's one of the first things I'm going to do in- inside as well is get those lights on as well. And Mike makes a really good point. A lot of firearms are already ready for weapon lights with these yep. accessory rails. Even if you don't have an accessory rail, you can even take an AR with uh, that, that is capable of taking M-lock attachment like this one and putting a little piece of M-lock and, and attaching a light. They even make... Uh, they even make adapters for shotguns and uh, PCCs and different things to be able to mount lights. You can even get a replacement four end 
for this Remington 870 with an integral light. I think it's maybe it's made by Surefire or yep, Surefire. Uh, one of those. Yeah, Surefire makes one as well. So that's a really, really good point. Not only to identify, but having that light to begin with is going to be a deterrent in itself. But PID is so important, positive identification. There have been so many tragedies because of lack of PID. And yep. so let's 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 avoid that with good lighting. Definitely. No, great advice. I want to get Chris and Jason's opinion on this. I want to talk about signage. Uh, you know, we saw a lot in Katrina, right, where people would make signs and be like, you know, you loot, we shoot, that sort of thing. In an SHTF situation, do you think that this is a, a good deterrent or does it kind of say, hey, there's guns here. It's not a good idea to, or you know, we, you have supplies and we can loot you. What are your guys' know. thoughts on that? I don't know about you guys, but guess what? Guess who lives in my house? Me and my wife. I don't know how many criminals are are capable of ganging together, coming after me and my stuff. And then I could potentially have to fight off 10, 20 um, people that are armed as well. If I let them know, Hey, you loot, we, you know, you loot, we shoot. That is exactly what you're doing. You're saying, Hey, this guy's got more firearms for us. Let's go get his stuff. You know, that's just my personal opinion. I don't put any kind of, um, pro gun stickers on my vehicle, things like that. I, I just, I, I, I like to avoid it, stay away from it at all costs because I don't want to have, I don't want to ever have to get in a fight. Okay. So let's avoid it at, at all costs. Yeah. I'm in agreement. Out of sight, out of mind. You know, don't draw attention to yourself. I want it to be a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, want, we train, we train to be dangerous. We're, yeah. we're dangerous individuals. Yeah. Uh, and, and we train and you should train to be dangerous, train to be as dangerous as you can be, uh, without, uh, and without seeking out conflict. 100%. You know, I heard a quote from just talking about this, even, you know, it goes with home defense too. Um, Jocko link made a quote a couple of how long ago it was, but he said, you know, if, if somebody approaches me out in public and they're bad mouthing me, I can walk away. I mean, I, I could be armed to the teeth. I could kick this guy's tail in. It doesn't matter. I can walk away, and that's what I want to do. If he throws a punch at me, I've still got time to get away. I can escape. The only time that you're going to force me not to escape and fight back is if you grab me, one of my family members, or if you pull a weapon, okay? I don't want to fight somebody even coming in my home, but if you come in my home, I don't know your intent. If my family's there, I only have one recourse and that's protect myself and protect my loved ones in that house. I don't know what your intent is. And it, you know, you just messed up. You grabbed me. Yeah. <laughs> but if somebody breaks into your house, they have bad intent. 100%, that's a safe assumption. Yeah. 100%. You know, so that sure. you put me in they, a position where now I have to react. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're an immediate candidate for high speed lead poison. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, Chris, what do you think about signs like that? Would you would you put a sign out that says uh, you loot, we shoot? No, no. I mean, look at our Escalade. It's completely blacked out. There's no stickers. There's not a dang thing on it that, you know, identifies us as, you know, two A guys or anything. No. Yeah, I, but OK, I, I, I get that. I, I agree with that. I don't have anything on my mind as well. Uh, for exactly that reason. But let's say things are, do go bad. We do have an HTF scenario and then you have, and then people start looting. Then would you, then would you throw paint a big sign and put it out in your front yard? Still not. Okay. No, I, I'm just I, curious. I would prefer that they go to somebody else's house under the radar. And, you know, Mike made the best point of them all is that if those people get focused on you, 
they'll burn you out of your own dang house and there's nothing you can you can't stop that so you know just not draw the attention and uh just stay vigilant be aware you know and have that community of of you know network of people hopefully in immediate proximity in your neighborhood so yeah. that you can band together but yeah no i i don't care what the keyboard warriors want to say down below the best fight is the fight that never yeah. end the story yeah. I, ha I have a quick story about signage when i was growing up um we had property i grew up in southern illinois uh, down in the coal mines and cornfields uh soybean fields way down the southern tip of illinois and we had some property out in the country and i don't remember if it was my dad or my grandpa put a sign up that said trespassers will be shot and we went out to the property one day and there was bullet holes in the sign that said trespassers will be shot and it weren't our bullet holes. So signage does not always work. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, all right. So, yeah, a couple of things I just wanted to hit on real quick. Like if you have to fight within your home, make sure that you're setting it up so that you have the advantage. I think this is one thing that we may not think about, but Mike kind of hinted on is talking about making these fatal funnels, pushing the enemy where you want them to go so that you can be set up. Because if they're coming into your home, they have no idea what your home setup is. They don't know what it looks like, what the floor plan is. So use that to your advantage. Make sure that you're trying to, you know, direct uh, that, you know, someone with ill intent where you want them to go so that you can be ready to go. Kind of like Mike was talking about interlocking fields of fire. That always sounds uh, like a good deterrent. Yeah, and just to be clear, because there were some questions in a previous video with regards to what is a fatal funnel, the simplest mm -hmm. example is forcing somebody to go through a doorway. You know, so you have massive advantage on the other side. They have to step into that fatal funnel, you know, to to progress, which is why clearing buildings is so dangerous and, and so hard to do. So anyway, basically hurting people through a choke point that makes them an easier target than you are. You're taking away their options for maneuvering and making them go to one place, which you've already got muzzles pointed at, which is a very bad place to be unless you've got flashbangs and stuff like that to be able to pump into the place. And most of us, I'm not saying all of us, Mike, don't have access to cool stuff like flashbangs and stuff like that. Most, most of us. We're not, we're not going to say which one may have, but... Yeah may possibly may potentially possibly. have <laughs> you know mike that's a uh, i'm a devout pacifist thank you very much i, I want to ask tell. you about that fatal funnel because i consider what okay another thing about if shtf situation does happen and somebody is attempting to come in my home okay communication is key between me and my wife okay it's my job as a husband. I'm not being chauvinist or anything like that. It's my job as a protector, as a man, the husband of, of the household. You know, that's just the way I was raised, and that's the way we do things. My wife's job, she has a rifle of her own, a pistol on her nightstand just as well. But her job is to get on the phone, call 911, and she sits with her rifle pointed at the door while she's on with 911 explaining the situation. She is to shoot anybody that comes through that bedroom door unless it's me and you know we'll be communicating throughout the whole thing but it's my job to go around the house would you consider that to be a fatal funnel as far as our our bedroom yeah that's usually um uh, that's usually what you call a fallback fatal funnel that's your that's your quote unquote that's your alamo right. um or whatever whatever is the hardest part of your house if you can get into the basement whatever um personally my 
preference is if you can if you can get into training if you don't have anybody else in the house but you and your spouse maybe you two ought to ought to be training to stack up on each other yep. and I mean, work I would love multiple to get angles that. while you clear the house because i'll yeah, tell I'd you what you you hit a I, like like i've got a tea hallway mm-hmm. in my place i hate going into teas by myself right. because i got to choose left or right yep but if you can do you and your spouse mm-hmm. bump that tea corner by you know at the same time Man, that takes away a lot of your vulnerabilities right there. It covers up. It covers up uh, dead spots. You don't know if you miss somebody behind you, and you know. So, so okay. So now we're working. Now we're working a single hallway. What's that person behind you doing? Right. They're flipped six. Yep. They're covering behind you. So, man, that that makes life a whole lot better. But everybody's got to be on board to be able to do that. Everybody's right. got to have the skills and the training to do that. If they don't have that, if your if your spouse isn't on board for that kind of thing. You know what? I get it. It happens a lot. Um, you know, you you you've got a you've got a uh, you got a spouse that wants to be a, a leaf eater and not a meat eater. Okay, cool. Sit yourself right there. Anybody that comes through that door, not yelling friendly, coming in, smoke them. Empty yep. the magazine yep. at them. Okay, sure, no problem. And that's that's a fine technique as far as I'm concerned. That's called bunkering. Right. Yeah. So just because I'm the anti PC guy, if there's any PC people, you know, tuning into this, <laughs> I would make a comment based on Jason's comment that there's a big difference between chivalry and chauvinism. Correct. And yeah, it's yeah. our job as men to show civil chivalry towards our wives, our significant others. 100%. And you know what? People can bellyache and bitch and moan about all this crap and PC and gender bullshit. At the end of the day, that's our role as the man of the house unequivocally please please leave us a comment tell us how how wrong chris is about that (laughs) i feel triggered i'm gonna be in the toxic masculinity is thick in here and i love it so we can't do this anymore (laughs) (laughs) so so to quote jason sawyer we are in a serious deficit of toxic masculinity whole other subject that's why we started the u.s men's academy strong men are the foundation of strong families and strong, you know, youngins. And again, that's a whole very deep rabbit hole, but that's something that unequivocally we will not budge on. And we're short on teamwork too. Yeah. Yeah. Teamwork, teamwork in a family. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I I really like what you guys are talking about here is having a fallback location. I like to kind of equate it to how they built castles in medieval times, how, they kind of expected that the outer wall might be breached. So they had a fallback location. They called it the keep where they had all their supplies, all their goodies. Now I'm not advocating you put all your eggs in one basket, but having that fallback location in case something happens and you know, you can't defend one area of your house. You need to be able to fall back and have that place where you have an even better advantage. And you can fortify that, especially in like an SHTF. Mike was talking about putting debris I mean, I think every prepper should have a, a supply of sandbags or availability to, you know, put things up that can offer you some sort of ballistic protection like that. Uh, and I think that's a really good thing to think about ahead of time, uh, how you want to set that up and what works best in your home. Defense in depth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I got one more thing I want to touch on here, and this is, a, you know, we're going deep. Uh, I want to talk about mental preparation for self-defense, because I think, in the, in the prepping community, this is one that is kind of left out a lot because people always think, okay, well, when the, the moment comes, I'm going to be ready to go. But 
I've, you know, from what I've read from, you know, different, you know, experiences from police officers and things like that, that's not really necessarily the case. I mean, Denny, you're big into the shooting aspect. Uh, I w- again, I want everybody's opinion on this. Uh, what are your thoughts on mental preparation and what should people work on doing? It's a mindset. I think that you need to be determined to accept and live uh, as uh, to, to be that trained, dangerous person. It's the same mindset that we have that, you know, follows with us when we go out to a restaurant and we sit in a particular location, look at the exits and look at it. You know, it's that mindset. Uh, the mindset goes with the training. The training's not just pulling the trigger, but pulling the trigger is good. And having that, I liked, I like action shooting sports. That's my golf. Um, I shoot uh, two, sometimes three times a week. Uh, under a timer, under pressure, run and gun, shooting, moving, shooting, moving, shooting. Uh, it's the closest thing that I can find uh, without having to organize training myself to go get trigger time on the clock, get some adrenaline, get that pressure, have my have my peers and other competitors looking over my shoulder, having that pressure to perform. It's that mindset. So you got to be trained, be dangerous, stay in that mindset. But it's a lifestyle that a lot of people aren't willing to accept, but it needs to be with you and live in you and go with you everywhere you go. And you need to live that lifestyle. You know, I talked about in my video carrying, you know, I carry my pistol condition one, which means around in the chamber. Oh, isn't that dangerous? Yeah, it's dangerous to the guy that I wanted it to be dangerous to because I have the training to do that. If any of you guys ever see Jason McCoy, he has a lightning fast draw of his pistol out of his appendix holster, which is right here. That guy can have his that guy can be have his muzzle on you in the in the blink of an eye, but but he lives with it and he dry fires and he trains and he does all these things. Uh Jason, I'm so proud of you, little brother. You're doing so good with your, <laughs> yeah, with so your training. Chapman. <laughs> no, well, I don't know about that, but yeah, it's a mindset. You need to live that mindset to have that training, be dangerous. Uh, so that you can protect yourself and your family. Seek out that training. Um, there are a ton of videos that you can watch to learn to be um, prepared for things with your firearms, with tools, with weapons. It's, you know, and, and think about this, guys. We might not always have our weapon to defend ourselves. Do you know jujitsu, for instance, Brazilian jujitsu? Jason and I have talked about this a lot. What happens what if it just comes down to grappling and who ends up choking the other guy to death? There's a lot to think about here. So as a man in today's society, seek out that training so that you can be you can be a trained and dangerous for the right reason, man. Jason. So, you know, what what Danny's saying is absolutely true. And um Tony Blauer, matter of fact, he did quote it in that article. And Tony is a, a friend of mine, heard him say this before. Um Situational awareness is key out there, but we're all human beings, okay? Even though we're grown men, um, we train this stuff all the time, it's human. The first human reaction is a flinch, regardless, okay? Because it's like a surprise. Oh, my goodness, something's happening. Oh, my God, somebody's coming in my home. Oh, my God, this guy's throwing a punch at me for no reason. Weaponize the flinch. Um, what Denny's talking about, about um, the speed of draw and stuff like that, that's really important to me because 99% of the time in my day-to-day life, I, I have my my pistol on me, okay, appendix carry. I want to be able to get that tool in the fight as fast as possible. 
And that's what I consider weaponizing the flinch. But like yesterday with working with a man assistant, Denny, I have so many holes in my game with a rifle because I've spent so much time working on the, it's not silly, but concentrating on one thing, putting my eggs all in that one basket with that pistol and that fast draw and getting that first round on target. There are so many aspects to all of this that, you know, all of us are growing all the time, even us on here. I mean, we're supposedly experts in the field, but we have so much to grow and do. And I think if we ever stop growing, that's when we stop living, stop, you know, or stop challenging ourselves. That's when we stop growing. Um, but Yeah. Don't let your ego get in the way of expanding your right. knowledge and your capabilities because there are always great equipment and techniques right around the corner that you might not have seen yet. Weaponizing the flinch go, goes just for home invasions and things like that, too. You know, if somebody's coming into your home, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in my home, my domicile, that's where I go home at the end of the day to relax, chill out. I don't expect somebody to just come trumping through my door. But if somebody does, if I hear a bump in the night, my wife and I both, are, what is that? That's the flinch. Okay. Now it's time for me to go check it out, go make sure everything's okay. Or if something serious was happening, somebody coming through the door, we'd have to weaponize the flinch in a completely different way. You got to be ready for those kind of things. And, you know, this is something that I just thought of while I'm talking. I haven't trained this kind of stuff with my wife. What if you go further step? We're laying in bed. Boom. Hit the timer. Let's see how fast we can get to those positions that we're talking about. Get those um, weapons in hand and get ready to rock and roll if something does happen, you know. Uh, what a great drill to practice with your spouse. Um, practice these drills at home with your kids. I know when my both of my boys were at home, um, we had a funny story we told Chris, you know, about my my youngest son um, uh, last night. But we had a little semi-mock situational awareness thing that we did all the time and, and how we did um, approach issues when we were at home. I got mad at him about this specific story that I told him because I thought he was right there next to me. And we actually did have a situation going on outside. I was trained in with my gun on somebody and he actually had moved to the kitchen without telling me and communicating with me. But these little things right here, I mean, they're, they're serious things. Like Mike talked about, about the guy with a shotgun, lack of communication, lack of PID. It could go South really quickly. If you don't communicate with your family, if y'all don't have a plan. Yeah. So you can download uh, the survival dispatch home defense plan on our website. Just hover over the store menu says free home defense plan grab that it'll help you put together your your personal home defense plan based on your circumstances absolutely uh mike i know you were in the military uh you know what do you what are your thoughts on mindset and uh how can we build that uh to be ready to go when the moment comes so i agree a lot with uh with, with what everybody else is saying here but i want to throw out the I want to throw out the immortal words of my first team sergeant uh, that I worked with, and um, it was very wise words. He was a he was a guy he had uh, uh, he had caught the tail end of Vietnam and uh, was still a GB at that point. And um, he told me that killing is the easiest thing to do. We were sitting around. We were sitting around one night, you know, just looking at Ranger TV, you know, sitting around a little fire uh, in southern Germany. He said, killing is the easiest thing to do. He says, it's very simple. He says, it's just a pull of a trigger. Living with it afterwards, that's the difficult part. So socially speaking, most human beings in 
first world countries, even most second world countries, are not mentally and emotionally conditioned to just take a life. Okay. Um, first Gulf War. Uh, when I went up to the first Gulf War, we had guys. We had guys that. I mean, these guys, these guys were hard, man. They were ready to go. They were, you know, they were, they were serious guys, right? Until they got enough time to start thinking about what was getting ready to come. And then they started thinking twice about it. And I was amazed at the amount of guys that here in a combat unit that outright balked and were, you know, were not well predisposed towards towards combat they really weren't you would thought that they would have been but now of course we get past a lot of that with training right and and that's conditioning that's all we're doing is we're conditioning the mind um so that you've got you've got neurological memory that that honestly you're just doing a reflex performing those performing those things but i'll tell you what do not do these things lightly ever um, once it's done, you can't take it back. So be very careful. That's why I, I just PID is a huge thing as far as I'm concerned. And, and I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of less lethal measures, stuff like that, man. If I can paintball the crap out of somebody with, with, uh, uh, with, uh, balls. uh, well, uh, the, the pepper balls, yeah. pepper balls are a beautiful thing. Uh, had a, had a bunch of, had a bunch of kids, screwing around um at my neighbor's house when i was living in town um that you know and they were there specifically to harass their daughter and yeah i was sick and tired of it i wasn't playing with it i walked out with the old paintball gun loaded that thing up with a big old hopper full of full of pepper balls and just laid into them and guess what they never came back again because i you know one i wanted my peace and quiet but two they meant harm to her you know, and they were pushing, they were pushing her for, for harm. And I'm not going to have that. So yeah, I mean, psychologically speaking, it's a big thing. Now, if you have a group, and this is one thing that very little uh, gets talked about very little is you get that Alamo syndrome where everybody's, you know, everybody starts getting really paranoid. Everybody's looking out all the time and stuff. And that wears on you. That really, really does wear on you. And if you've, and most people, you know, if they haven't been in the military, if they haven't trained with this kind of stuff, you get one of your neighbors who's an accountant who winds up having to shoot somebody. Man, that's going to, Ted is going to wear on that person's mind. Okay. Uh, and uh, Bear mentioned, I, I was, I, I can't believe that I completely never even paid attention to this, but probably one of the absolute most beneficial people that you could possibly have in a preparedness group is a counselor or a preacher. Because that will keep the ball rolling mentally for everybody. Makes sense. Good point. That's a really good point. Really awesome point. Well, guys, I think we covered pretty much everything today. I can't uh, think of much else. Uh, I want to say if you've made it this far in the video and you haven't liked, commented, and subscribed, what in the world are you doing? Get down there, do that for us. And just remember, guys, everything we talked about here is not legal advice. None of us are lawyers. And uh, we're, we can't uh, tell you what your laws in your state are. That's your duty to do if you plan to defend your home and defend your castle. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. It was a great Survival Dispatch News. Uh, awesome having everybody here today. Nice, guys. Uh, thank you all. Everybody stay safe out there.